Another reading. Blessed is the one who seeks wisdom with a pure heart and does not slander with his tongue. Blessed are those who hold fast to wisdom, to its statutes, uh, excuse me, to wisdom's statutes, and do not hold fast to the ways of injustice. Blessed are those who rejoice in wisdom and do not exult in paths of folly. Blessed are those who seek wisdom with pure hands and do not search for it with a deceitful heart. Blessed is the one who attains wisdom and walks in the law of the Most High. It goes on for a bit. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Sound familiar? Kind of? Uh, That's actually from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So when Jesus starts giving a list of these so-called beatitudes or blessings, he's not doing anything new, necessarily. And we have other records of these lists that come from writing before and maybe a little bit after Jesus. The dating of these things is a little tricky. So when Jesus starts saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, he's not shocking anybody, if that makes sense. But there is a bit of a twist. I mean, with Jesus, there usually is. This list is uh, basically pronouncing blessing on people who seek wisdom, which is a good thing, and I would recommend that to everybody. Jesus seems to be doing something different. See, if we kind of take a step back and look at what happened before Jesus starts giving what will end up being the most famous sermon in all of recorded history— He is born, he grows up, he's baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. He then goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, much like Israel wandered the wilderness for 40 years. It's not a coincidence that that's a parallel. And Jesus is tempted by the evil one and succeeds, whereas Israel was tempted in so many ways and they failed miserably. So Jesus has just made a statement. He's the one who crosses the Jordan, except he's not going into the promised land, he's going into the wilderness, and he succeeds where everybody else failed. And then he comes back, starts hanging around Galilee where he's from, starts healing people, he gathers disciples, he starts teaching And he becomes wildly popular, as you might imagine. People in droves are bringing their sick uh, to be healed. They're coming to Jesus to hear what he has to say. Because God is obviously moving through him. And then, as Matthew says, he goes up to like a high place and he sits down. That is the traditional posture of a teacher. And then he opens his mouth and then proceeds. That's different. He's not saying like, hey Matt, write this down for me. Because we're going to pass this around later. And what he says is maybe a little different from... Another example of Beatitudes that I just read. He's not saying like, hey, 
be wise. Seek wisdom because that's a good idea. Seek wisdom because then you'll be successful. Seek wisdom because then you won't constantly be putting your foot in your mouth. I added that last one, but it's true. I do not follow it very well. Um, those other Beatitudes are really good advice. And, and they are. Again, I commend it to you. Jesus doesn't go around giving advice. He goes around and he makes announcements. And the announcement that he makes, beginning what is traditionally known as the Sermon on the Mount, is that things are going to be a little different. Now, if you're, you're like a disciple or you're somebody who's trying to figure out what this Jesus guy is all about, and so you're amongst this crowd, and you see him kind of go up to a high place and sit down and then speak, uh, there's kind of an obvious parallel if you're, you know, 2,000 years ago, and you're Jewish, Jesus is acting like Moses, who after, by God's power, leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he goes up Mount Sinai and receives the teaching from God, the, what we call Torah or uh, the law. Teaching is kind of a better word for that. Jesus is acting like Moses now. He was acting like Israel. Now he's acting like Moses. Uh, the parallels would probably not be missed if you're, again, 2,000 years old and Jewish. And then he says weird things. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Like, if you're poor or poor in spirit, loads of discussion about what exactly that means, like, then you are not blessed by definition. Blessed are the meek, the lowly? No, that's not how that works. Blessed if you're mourning? No, if you're mourning, then, like, by definition, something has gone terribly wrong. Blessed are the cheesemakers, I mean peacemakers. If you're a Monty Python fan, that's hilarious, by the way. Um, then you'll be called the sons of God. Peacemaking. Peacemaking is probably not going to be on your list of qualities if you are very interested in the kingdom of God at that time. And in fact, Jesus is kind of saying that the opposite of the people you would think are blessed are actually blessed. Because at this point in time, the poor in spirit, the meek, basically the people who have had an empire after empire crushing their necks, taxing them mostly to death, they're longing for justice. They're longing for freedom. They're longing for God to act as God has long promised he will. They are waiting for their justice moment, really for their hero, their Messiah, quite literally, to come and bring them the freedom they, they know that they have been promised. And there have been 
people who have come before Jesus. In fact, there was one when he was about 12 years old uh, who came from Galilee, where Jesus currently is, and decided now is the time for God's freedom. And he got a band together, and they got really violent. They were not peacemakers. And people got kind of excited, like, is this God's warrior who's finally come? And then the Romans came in and waxed them, crucified like between two and 3,000 people in one go. That's what the people are expecting. So blessed are the peacemakers. Be real. But again, Jesus is not giving advice right now. He's making an announcement. That God has finally acted... And it's not what they were expecting. That's an uncomfortable thought. I would just kind of ask you, when has God... When... Sorry, you know, you have... I'm going to blame daylight savings time, even though it's just kind of how I'm, like, wired. Um, When has God totally subverted your expectations and how did you respond if you felt in your expectations getting totally misunderstood or or totally stepped on if you felt like you came out as the loser in that like it's not that god exceeded your expectations it's it's just that that it's not what you had in mind at all you could get angry god i expected that this would have worked out because it seemed like you were involved in it but it did not work out that was a disaster It felt like everything fell apart right there. God, what are you doing? You're going to be angry. Uh, God, I thought that was the person for me. God, I thought that you wanted me to not have to fight every day of my life just to make it through. God, I thought that this was how you wanted things to be run. I thought this is how you wanted the government to be or the local authorities to be. Like There are so many different ways that our expectations of what God might want just end up getting totally subverted. How do you respond? The people to whom Jesus is speaking... When he starts saying, hey, by the way, how fortunate are those who are poor in spirit? How fortunate are those who are way low? How fortunate are those who have experienced immense tragedy? They would have heard this with immense joy. Some would have been extremely upset. And they were. They killed Jesus for a reason. But to those who knew what life was really like, Jesus' announcement was good news. It was not expected news. 
Many wanted, I'd say justice, but really revenge. Hence the whole peacemaking aspect. But as it turns out, when you sit within the way God does things, and you allow it like a like sandpaper to carve off all of those bits of you projecting onto God how things should actually be, the thing that comes out of that, it's beautiful. It's smoother. It's more so how God intends things to be. So today is All Saints Day. We remember two uh, who have passed away, who are connected with our community. Um, that's honestly, that, that's a fortunate number. That's a pretty low number uh, for a church this size. And it's important to grieve. Um, it's important to be sad. I, uh, every year around this time, it's always a little tricky. I lost somebody who was very important to me in a very surprising, tragic way. And some other day I'll tell you more about that. Um, but I also find it very encouraging that even though death is always bad, even though it is redeemed by Jesus, and death is sad, and separation is sad, and it's hard to say goodbye, these are the ones who now sit, the process complete, the sandpaper is put down. They're the ones who have a much bigger, fuller idea of what God is doing. They're the ones who now take a step back and, and can understand, oh, for all the times that it felt like God had let me down, this is what he had in mind. That's an encouraging thought. See, as Jesus is making this announcement, he's subverting expectations, he's changing the, the, the minds of the people, trying to get them to reorient themselves with how God is going to do things. And that's hard and it's painful and if you've lived more than like two years, you, you know how that goes. So I would ask you, what does that look like for you? Where are you right now? as life is maybe not going the way you would think it would be, where is God making this wild announcement about your life unfolding in real time as you realize this is not what I had in mind? Because then you get to answer a question. Do I trust God? This Jesus, as he's standing here making this wild announcement, people are going to have to start asking, do we trust him? Um, that can be hard. But God is the one who laid down his life for you. He gave his son. 
that as Jesus is making this announcement that the kingdom of God is really kind of this upside-down reality that those who don't deserve it are in, those who feel like they really deserve it are going to find themselves in a tricky situation. Um, God is the one who gives himself. God is the one who redeems even death. God is the one who, while he may be that sandpaper, he is also marveling at the results that will eventually be your life. All Saints Day is not, as it turns out, just about those we have lost. It's also about the saints who are alive, and that's you. So my prayer on All Saints Day for us is that we may recognize this holy divine sandpaper for what it is, that when God does not live up to our expectations, that we know that if Jesus redeems death, he can redeem whatever this is as well. And then ultimately, as painful and strange as it may be, we can in fact trust God. He is the one who gave his son for our sake. Amen.